Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Professor Peter Pitts is the former FDA Associate Commissioner. He's president and co-founder of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest, and he's the author of Become Strategic or Die. We've spoken with Professor Pitts in the past. Professor Pitts, good to have you back on the program. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Would you explain to us uh, this action by the FDA against the J&J vaccine? Why? You know, that rings alarm bells with people. Well, I wouldn't characterize it as being against anything. It really is for the public health. What the FDA discovered were five women who had gotten the single Johnson & Johnson uh, jab injection and developed very serious and rare blood clot called cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. And this is concerning because even though blood clots are not that uncommon uh, generally, this one is especially rare. And what the women share is that within the last two weeks, they'd all gotten the Johnson Johnson vaccine. So, you know, as the FDA put it, out of, out, of, out of an abundance of caution, they put a pause on the use of this vaccine in the U.S. So, you know, that's only about 5% of the whole U.S. vaccine supply. We're able to make it up with volume from Pfizer and Moderna, the other two vaccines that are approved in the U.S. But this is a very important vaccine in Johnson Johnson because it's a single dose. It can be stored at higher temperatures. So it's the perfect product to use, for example, for um, large-scale vaccinations of kids uh, before school. So you know, this is the part we want to study very carefully and hopefully get back into use as quickly as possible. We just heard, I uh, spoke with the Washington Post reporter a few minutes ago, and we heard the number 300 million extra doses of vaccine in the United States by the end of July. That sounds just uh, remarkable. It's amazing, uh, particularly in this country, to hear numbers like that. Uh, how does that happen? And what, what's going to happen with that, uh, with those vaccines? Any idea? Well, I, think, I don't think we're going to have an extra 300 million doses. I think we, we will have used 300 million doses. Now they're talking about and a surplus. They're, well they're talking about a 300 million surplus in the Washington Post. I, I, had, I hadn't heard that. I had not heard that. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty large number. I think right now what we're doing is keeping up with the requirement. Obviously, you know, the, the need for the vaccine is different in different states right. here uh, down south. But right. at the end of the day, you know, the, the takeaway is that President Biden has uh, promised and is going to be able to deliver that every American that wants to get vaccinated will get vaccinated. And as of April 19th, we're opening up vaccinations to every adult. And hopefully once the FDA reviews data uh, from Pfizer and Moderna, both will start being able to vaccinate kids ages 12 and up uh, before school will have to start again in the fall. Okay. Uh, Professor Pitts, how does the FDA monitor the performance of vaccines, particularly at this time, with vaccines that don't have years of efficacy reports behind them? Well, you know, every vaccine, every pharmaceutical product uh, that is on the market in the U.S. has been licensed by the FDA, uh, has given the FDA substantial amounts of data before that was done. What happens, whether it's a vaccine or a drug, or what, doesn't really matter how long it's been studied before approval. Post-approval, the FDA has to continue to receive what's called uh, safety reports of what happens in the real world. Mm-hmm. And that, unfortunately, is not yet real-time reporting. So when the FDA found out about these five blood clots, it recognized that it wasn't the data as of that moment. These were serious. They can cause death. One woman, in fact, had died. So in order to allow the data to catch up to uh, our attempts to, to, to find it and report on and understand it, uh, they put a pause on its use. Okay. It's really amazing, though, isn't it, when we consider that we really became uh, globally aware, really aware of uh, the COVID virus in February, January, February of last year. And here we are 
a relatively short period thereafter, with the vaccines and the supplies of hundreds of millions of them, and they're being administered, and they really are the best line of long-term defense against uh, against this this virus. It's amazing that what has been done, what science has been able to accomplish. It's been a spectacular victory. You know, the, the fact that we have in the U.S. three approved vaccines, as well as various therapies, therapeutics, drugs, and diagnostics in such a brief period of time is really the untold story here. It's really amazing. And what it tells us is that when the whole healthcare ecosystem works together, government, private industry, academia, and, uh, you know, experts from around the world, we can accomplish great things rather than kind of shooting pills at each other looking to score political points. I think kind of the lesson learned here is how do you take working together and successes in COVID-19 and apply it to other healthcare issues moving forward? Do you have any thoughts on Canada being uh, very slow in acquiring vaccines and the wait time between vaccinations in this country is uh, 16 weeks? You know, one of the great successes is the government in the U.S. underwrote a lot of the risk relative to the uh, development of vaccines, and they did that in two ways. The first way was they underwrote what's called manufacturing at risk, and that means when Pfizer and Moderna and J&J were undergoing their, their research programs and had a product they felt was the final product they wanted to give to the FDA for review, they had already begun manufacturing it. Now, if the product had not passed muster and the FDA decided not to license it, all those doses had to been destroyed. Yeah. That's not what happened. We have three vaccines that got, a, that got uh, emergency use authorization in the U.S., so we had a huge supply very early on in the proposition. The second thing, and another big difference from what happened uh, in Canada, is that the U.S. government up front you know, promised these companies to purchase hundreds of millions of doses. So it was a pre-approved market, which, again, gave the companies the, the understanding they wouldn't be left with a product nobody wanted to use. It was approved by the FDA. So once it was approved by the FDA, the U.S. was you know, at the front of the queue relative to these hundreds of millions of doses that we're using right now. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.